Good morning, Journey. God, even better than the 830. I love the, I love the actual response there. It's very, very cool. I love the story that I heard about this woman that was struggling with her computer. Now, because I have a lot of sympathy and compassion for people that have IT challenges. Uh, I love sharing this story, though. She couldn't get her computer to turn on. Thankfully, she worked at a company that had an IT department. So she called the IT department, and as she talked with this man, he began to walk her through probably his checklist of questions to ask her. And she was like, check, check, check. Then he gets to the question. He asks her, did you plug your computer in? And the thing that starts going through her mind is, what kind of an idiot does he think I am? She just explodes at this guy on the phone. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I don't understand computers. He apologized profusely and said, I I, I will come and I will deal with this personally. He gets to her office and he gets underneath her desk and begins to look at the power situation. And absolutely, indeed, she had plugged her computer into the power strip. But here's what she did. Rather than plugging this into the wall, she plugged this in to this. You get it, don't you? It's not gonna work. Here's the reason I share this. I think this is an actual picture of what many people think the Christian life is. We think that the power to live the Christian life or the kingdom life that we've been talking about in this series comes from me trying to plug into myself. I'm just gonna do more, I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna gut this thing out. But if we understand what the kingdom is about, we'll understand that this is not the picture that God has for us. In fact, he would say the kingdom life can't be lived like this. What Jesus would say is that the kingdom life, it's not a difficult life to live, It's actually an impossible life to live. There's only one person that's ever fully lived the kingdom life, and that was Jesus. And the only way for us to even think about what it might look like for us to live the kingdom life is if Jesus lives his life through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to be plugged in but it's not plugging into ourself. It's not do more, try harder. It's plugging in to him and allowing his resources to let us live the kingdom life. Now, I think this picture is an accurate picture of what many people do to try to live the kingdom life. And I think this kind of a picture is what A.W. Tozer had in mind when he reflected on the level of power within the Christian church today when he said this. We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world. We have sought popular favor. We've manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap, and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. Friends, as I've been wrestling with this message, 
I think the strong affirmation that I want to make to my own life and to us, Journey Church, as a spiritual family, let's don't measure ourselves by ourselves. But what I want us to do as we wrestle with the scriptures through this kingdom series, asking the question, what is the kingdom like? That we would hold the scriptures up high and realize this kingdom life that Jesus is inviting us into, it's not a life of do more, try harder. It is a supernatural life. And you know what I see when I watch people living the kingdom life in these scriptures? That very, very ordinary people Ordinary people like me, ordinary people like you do extraordinary things when God is at work in and through their life. And I wanna ask us as we walk through this series together that we would resist the voice. And I believe that this is the voice of the enemy himself that would just say, you know when you read that, that was then. This is now. God doesn't work that way anymore. He wants us to lower the bar. But here's what I want us to ask us to do is that we would hold the scripture high as we reflect on what it means to live within the kingdom of God. And you know what's gonna happen as we do that? This is what happens for me as I hold the scriptures up. I look at the scripture and I look at my life and I see an incredible gap. I see gaps between what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing here. I see gaps personally. I see gaps in our church. I see gaps in the capital C church, the church at large. But here's what I want us to do. I don't want us to succumb to that temptation to lower the scriptures down to the level of our experience so that somehow we can feel okay about our life. I want us to hold the scriptures high and I want us to humbly, humbly ask God in your power and in your strength, God, would you raise my experience to the level of what we see in your word and that we would trust him for that. As I've been preparing this last week and even in the weeks to come before that, the word that just keeps going through my mind is more, more. I believe that God has more. More for me, more for journey, more for his church than we're currently experiencing. God has more, immeasurably more than what we could ask or imagine. And you know what? Jesus actually promises more. More power. More power to actually live out this kingdom life that we're talking about. But that more power comes as we personally encounter his Holy Spirit. As we look at this message today and we think about God's kingdom, we're gonna see this, that in God's kingdom, there is a promise of power. We're gonna look at a portrait of power in the life of a person, and we're gonna look at the pathway to power. How do we move toward the kind of power that we see in the scripture? First of all, the promise of power. Acts chapter one, starting in verse one. This is Luke the doctor writing this. He says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them. 
What did he talk to them about? He talked to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like. So we've got this 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, where one of his primary goals is just to convince the apostles, convince those people that had followed him the closest, that he is who he claimed to be, and that he is alive. And he kept doing that over and over. Said he appeared to them from time to time. And he would say, touch me. Constantly saying, touch me. Why is he asking them to touch him? He wanted them to know, I'm not a ghost. I am alive. I am risen from the dead. He ate with them over and over again. Fish dinner after fish dinner. But they didn't always get it. Not every one of them got it, even still. This is amazing to me. At the end of the book of Matthew, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, Verse 16 of chapter 28, this is what the scripture says, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, the 11 disciples, those closest to Jesus, the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some still doubted. They weren't completely convinced. And I tried to put myself in the shoes of Jesus, or maybe the sandals of Jesus. What would you do there? Like I'm thinking, if you're a coach and you're trying to put your team together, it's time to start making some cuts. There are people that just aren't getting it. You know, people that get it over here, people that don't get it over here. I'm thinking, this is the end of the road. Jesus is leaving. But you know what? Jesus didn't hit the panic button. He didn't get angry. He didn't stomp his sandals into the sand and say, come on, figure it out. Because here's what I believe he knew. He knew that they were gonna get it. They they would get it, but they weren't gonna get it until they received power from on high, until they had a personal encounter with God's indwelling spirit. So this is what he told them to do as we continue in verse four. Once when he was eating with them, He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, what Jesus is doing here, he is reminding them of things that he had told them many, many times over the last three years, talking about the reality that he was gonna go but that was actually gonna be better for them. It's better for me to go because when I leave, I'm gonna send someone to be with you and to be in you. He's gonna be a counselor. He's gonna be your advocate. He's gonna be a comforter. And he's not just gonna be with you, he's going to be in you. He said, I'm gonna leave, but I will not abandon you. I will not leave you as orphans. And you know what? When you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, he said, you will do even greater things than you saw me doing. It's better for me to go. And then he makes that promise of power. Verse six. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Asking questions about the kingdom. He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. And then here he does it, that promise of power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you 
And here's what's gonna happen. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Starting right here in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling them, when my spirit is poured out in your life, lives within you, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna be my representatives. This kingdom thing that I've been talking about, this building of the kingdom here on earth, you know who's gonna do it? You are. You are gonna do it as I do it through you in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus was telling them was going to happen. If you're gonna build the kingdom, you've got to have power that is not you. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. Friends, when we think about the kingdom, when we think about living the kingdom, when we think about building the kingdom, this can't be our picture. There is no power here. But what Jesus would say is you've got to unplug from yourself and you've got to plug in to me. Allow my spirit, my power to work in and through you to build my kingdom. It's amazing. There was a handful of those disciples that were there as Jesus ascends into heaven after he commands them that he's gonna send his spirit. He just floats off. I just kind of imagine a helium balloon just kind of off and then it says the clouds covered him. And they're standing there looking. The scripture tells us about 120 men and women were there wondering what is it that we should do. They listened to what Jesus said. They stayed in Jerusalem and they waited and they prayed. One of those people, one of those 120 was Peter. If you were here last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about Peter. But it was a little bit unfair. It was probably one of those times where you're looking at a part of someone's life that they were probably the the most ashamed of. The thing, if they could have any do-over, that might be the do-over for them. But I wanna remind you about that portrait of Peter because what we're gonna look at is a portrait of power. There was the promise of power, but Peter shows us a portrait of power. Because before this Acts story, the story that we talked about last week, Peter was excited about the things of the kingdom. He was excited to move with and for Jesus. But when Jesus told his disciples that I'm gonna be arrested and I'm gonna go to the cross and I'm gonna die, Peter said, no way, no way. And Jesus told them, he said, when that happens, what you're gonna do is you're all gonna scatter like scared little sheep. Peter said, uh-uh, not me. Maybe all of these others are gonna flush out, but not me. Jesus, you can count on me. And Peter told, Jesus told Peter, he said, you know, Peter, before tomorrow morning, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny that you even know me three times. Peter was, uh-uh, not me. I am ready to die with you. And I believe with everything in me that Peter was sincere. I believe that he thought he could do that. But here's what we see happen. They came and they arrested Jesus. And sure enough, everybody scatters, including Peter. He runs and he hides. And he follows Jesus, but he follows at a distance. And with Jesus at a distance, he finds himself warming his hands by a fire. And three times people asked him, you were with him. You were with the Galilean. 
He said, no, I don't even know who he is. One of those people that asked him, this is just amazing to me, it was just a little girl, a little servant girl asked him. But Peter was still scared, "Uh uh-uh, not me. A picture of cowardice, a picture of a lack of power. Can we look at another portrait of Peter? Let's go after the story from Acts chapter one that I just read. Let's look at Acts chapter two and the beginning of Acts chapter three. What do we see Peter doing? Peter is standing up in these same streets of Jerusalem, not running, not hiding, but he's standing up on his soapbox proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And you know what he's doing? He's pointing his finger at the people that had just killed Jesus. These are the same people that killed Jesus. And if they were willing to kill Jesus, in a blink of an eye, they'd be willing to take out one of his two-bit followers. But Peter was bold. Peter was courageous. These two portraits of Peter, one a coward, one full of courage. And I think the question that we've got to ask is, what happened? What got in to Peter? I think there's a better question. Who? Who got in to Peter? Because between those two portraits, we see the very beginning of the book of Acts. Acts chapter two, when God pours out his Holy Spirit into the lives of his followers. Everyone that had made Jesus their king, that had bowed their knee to him and said, I am gonna follow him. He poured out his spirit into their lives and they were absolutely transformed. You see, before Peter, he was self-confident, self-dependent and self-empowered and it ended in failure. But just a few weeks later, Just a few weeks later, it wasn't like he had heard a good sermon, went to a leadership summit, learned some good leadership techniques, but something happened and he became God-confident, God-dependent, God-empowered, and everything was different. It wasn't what got into Peter, it was who got into Peter. It was his Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two, when Pentecost, when God poured out his spirit, it changed everything. And what God launched was a spirit-empowered movement, a spirit-empowered movement called the church that turned the world upside down. When we follow through the book of Acts and see what they did, and when we follow through history, this group of people that had nothing, they had no money, they had no political influence, they had no cultural leverage, they turned the Roman world upside down. Within 250 years, Rome just said, uncle, we are a Christian nation. They turned the world upside down. This beautiful picture of power. But here's what I think we need to do, friends. We need to say, we can look at that and say, that was awesome for them. What about us? What needs to be true in my life? What is the pathway to power that they understood that we need to understand if we were gonna live the kind of kingdom life that they were willing to live? I wanna give you an equation for kingdom power. Kingdom power, this is on your notes page. Kingdom power, this is gonna be easy to remember, is equal to time times 
time. You remember that? Kingdom power is equal to time, times, time. What we know from the scriptures is that there's lots of different words that they use for time. One of the times that it takes for us to experience kingdom power is a Greek word called chronos. And when we hear that word chronos, we think about chronology. We think about the sequential passing of moments in time. Think about your watch. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, when he talked about his kingdom power breaking in, he used these metaphors and these pictures that helped us understand that it takes time. He used agricultural metaphors that people would understand. He talked about the reality that the kingdom of God is like a seed. Not a big seed like an acorn, a little seed like a mustard seed but it starts to grow. It's like a plant that starts small and grows. And think about this seed. It would take time for this seed to germinate, to see a root start to go down, to see a stem start to grow up, to see leaves and branches grow and become fruitful over time and begin to produce fruit. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he wanted us to understand it takes time. It's slow and steady, and sometimes we can't even see it with our naked eye. Slow and steady. But here's what I know about 21st century Americans. We don't do really well with slow and steady, do we? We microwave our food. We Google our questions because we want answers right now. We real-time our news. We Snapchat our friends. We e-file our taxes. You did e-file your taxes, didn't you? They were due on Tuesday. Just so you know, if some of you need to run, file your taxes. Everything in our culture seems like it happens at the speed of light. But what Jesus is saying about the kingdom is that in my kingdom, it happens at the speed of a seed. The speed of a seed. It's slow and steady, but it's powerful and it's consistent. And here's why this can be challenging for us. In God's kingdom, things can often take longer than we think. And sometimes definitely take longer than we want. Here's the point. If we don't understand God's timing, it's gonna be a real temptation for us out of impatience to wanna get out ahead of God. Not trying to see what it is that he's doing, not trying to understand his timing, not trying to follow him, but impatiently get out in front of him. Or when it doesn't seem like God is doing things in the timing that we want, we just quit. We just give up. We throw our hands up and we stop short out of frustration with God's timing. But there's a picture, a metaphor that scripture gives us to understand what it looks like for us to trust in God's timing. It talks about this walk with the Holy Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. What we simply do is we see God's Spirit take a step and we take a step with Him. We see the Spirit take another step and we take a step with Him. We learn to trust God's timing. If you're at a place in your life where you just think, I I can't trust God's timing, it just always seems like He's a day late and a dollar short. If you think there's something wrong with God's timing, 
Friends, we've got to humbly say something is wrong with our watch. If we are gonna see kingdom power break through in our life, we've got to learn to discern God's timing in our life. And we do that by learning to hear his voice. Because a seed will grow, a seed will grow, but it's got to have the right kind of environment. And when Jesus talked about the right kind of environment, he talked about another kind of time. And this time is not chronos, but it's kairos. And that word is not the sequential passing of moments, but the idea of kairos is opportunity. There are opportunities that God gives us for his kingdom to break through. This was the very first message that Jesus brought to his disciples at the very beginning of Mark chapter one, and he talked about time. Mark chapter one, starting verse 14, it says, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. And this was the good news. He said the time promised by God, and that time meaning the opportunity, the opportunity for God's kingdom to break in, promised by God, has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. He's just saying it's right there. It's closer than you think. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Just saying turn to God. Respond to him. Respond to his opportunity. And that's what we learn to do. It takes time, but it's got to be the right time, the kairos time. Kairos time where we're learning to hear God's voice and we're learning to respond to him in obedience. Those opportunities, those promptings that God gives us, those impressions that we have, those thoughts that come into our mind that seem like, I didn't think that. That seems like a God thought. Those convictions where we just know that we're heading in a wrong direction and God wants to turn us. It takes time for kingdom power, but it takes the right kind of time and it's kairos time. Here's how the apostle Paul explained the importance of kairos time as it relates to the power of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter five. Paul says, so be careful how you live. He says there are a couple of different ways you can live. He said, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. What's the difference between someone who's foolish and someone who's wise? Paul tells us, they make the most of every opportunity. And that word there is kairos. Every time God speaks, they say yes. They respond to him. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's hearing him, those promptings, those impressions, those ideas, those convictions, learning to respond to those. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Showing a contrast there. Don't let your life be directed by this outside force of alcohol. Don't let that be the thing that directs, empowers, and controls your life. Allow your life to be directed, controlled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit by making the most of every kairos. Every opportunity that God brings, don't let any of them slip by because of disobedience. And everyone that you recognize and you grab a hold of, make the most of it. 
Paul would say, because this could be a defining moment for you. I'm imagining in this room that there are people right now that there are kairos. These opportunities that are on the forefront of your mind. Decisions, maybe, that you know that you need to make. Make them. There are ideas that are being birthed in your heart and your soul. Ideas that are given to you from God. That he is saying, grab a hold of this. Move toward it. Kairos says, move. Respond to him. Maybe there's sin in your life that you're holding on to. You know that God wants you to let go of it, but you're, you're holding on to it. You're coddling it in your life. Let go. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't let fear cause you to not grab those opportunities or just preoccupation with all the things and busyness of your life or the things that are drowning out the voice of God. Learn to discern kairos. What are those opportunities that God is bringing to you? Because if we're gonna see kingdom power, the kinds of things that we see in the scriptures, we've gotta understand chronos. We've gotta understand that it's gonna take time, but it takes the right kind of time. A kind of time where our heart is continuously hearing from God and responding to him in obedience. But here's the deal. There are things in us that resist this happening in our life that absolutely resist this. And one of the things that we have to understand, a barrier that we need to overcome is what some people have termed the status quo bias. The status quo bias. Simply put, it's our tendency to keep doing the things that we've always been doing without ever giving it much thought at all. We just keep doing the same thing. You know who understands the status quo bias? Cable companies, magazine companies, credit card companies, You know why I know that they understand the status quo bias? Because you know what they do? They send you introductory offers. And you see those offers and they're amazing. And in your heart, you're just thinking, finally, somebody loves me. Somebody cares about me. Friends, they don't love you. But they know you. They understand how people work. They understand the status quo bias. And here's what they know happens to so many people. That sounds awesome. I sign up. The introductory time is over. And what do I do? Nothing. I just keep doing it because this is what I've been doing. I'm just getting used to it. And maybe we do recognize it. We're just too lazy to do anything different. We are creatures of habit. We tend to just do the same things that we've always done. And I love what Einstein said. When we do the same things over and over and over again and we expect a different result, that is the definition of insanity. It's just insanity. I'm glad you brought up Einstein because I love science. I wanna talk with you about a physics principle that explains this same thing the status quo bias. In physics, we call this inertia. Simply inertia. Here's the definition for you science people out there. Inertia is a property of matter 
by which it continues in its existing state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless that state is changed by an external force. Isn't that fun just to talk science a little bit? Let me, yeah, yeah. Let me try to explain it in a certain way. Inertia is this idea that imagine that this is you. This is your spiritual life, very well-rounded. It was better than, wasn't that? I'm sorry that I did that. But here's what inertia says, that this will tend to stay at rest unless it is acted upon by an external force. Or if this thing happens to be moving in a certain direction, it will move in a straight line unless it is acted upon by an external force. If anything is gonna change this, it's gonna take an external force. Now I just wanna imagine again that this is your spiritual life. If you are at rest, we can call it what you want. You can say, I'm stuck. I just feel stagnant. I feel lukewarm, call it what you want. What inertia tells us that if we want to change that, we've got to allow our life to be moved, responded to an external force. Or maybe we are in motion, but maybe we're in motion in the wrong direction. If we wanna get moving in the right direction, it's gonna take an external force acting upon us. What we're talking about today is that external force that needs to act upon us if our life is going to change, if our direction is going to change, if our level of kingdom power is gonna change, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit, that external force, that personal presence of God to act on our life. You wanna get moving? Wanna be in a new direction? We need to respond to those nudges, those little nudges of that external force, the Holy Spirit those promptings, those impressions. If we wanna get off the dime, if we want to change, we've got to respond. But here's what's hopeful in my mind. If that is our desire, if we do really want that, we're only one yes away from change. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is continually prompting us, nudging us, asking us to respond to him. You are one yes away away from change. And you know what you do after you say yes to the Holy Spirit and he moves you in a different direction? You know what you do? You say yes again. Yes, yes, yes. That kind of kairos time over chronos time creates transformation, kingdom power in our life. And that's what we see in the scriptures. This is what I love about what I read in the scriptures. It makes it really clear to us that these people were very ordinary people. I'm incredibly ordinary. And you know what? So are you. We are ordinary. But extraordinary things can happen when we trust in, when we respond to God's power, those nudges in our life. And that's what we see happen with these 120 people that were sitting there on this hill outside of Jerusalem. God pours out his spirit and these people with no money, no political power, no cultural leverage, they changed 
the world because these ordinary people were extraordinary in their openness to God. They were extraordinary in their expectancy, willing to hold out their lives. God, I will take whatever it is that you want for me and I will say yes. They were extraordinarily available to him. And when his spirit nudged, they said yes. And their lives changed and they changed the world. So when I think about my life, when I think about what what would I be, what would I want to be true of me if I was with them, I think I would want to be there with my hands held up to God saying, I want more. God, whatever you have for me, I want more. Holy Spirit, if there's anything that I'm not experiencing, if there's any way that I'm resisting you, I want more. I think that's the question for every one of us to ask. Do we want more? Are we hungry? Are we thirsty for more? Do we want a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit? The scripture says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do we want more? Are we willing to let God move us? Are we willing to let God nudge us? Do we want more? I want to just give you a little bit of time and space, not long, but I want you to actually ask that question of yourself. Look at your heart. You don't have to fool anybody. God knows your heart. You know your heart. Do you really want more? Is there a hunger and thirst? Because if there is, this is what I'm going to ask you to do here in just a few seconds. I want to just, in your seat where you are, just as a posture of humility, as a posture of expectancy, I want you to just hold out your hands before God as a way to say to him, I want more. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer over all of my friends here that are like me, that see a gap between what I see in the scripture and what I see in my life, I want more. I'm gonna pray a prayer. It's not my prayer, it's God's prayer. It's a Holy Spirit prayer. One that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter three, and I'm gonna pray it over you as my friends. If you're here today and you want more, I'm just gonna ask you to boldly Lift up your hands before God as a posture of expectancy. Here's the Holy Spirit's prayer for you through the Apostle Paul. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God.
Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.